Hi, guys. Want to let you know that you can find us and like us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn as Fail Forward Pod. Also, check out our discomfort challenge. We are challenging our listeners to lean into discomfort. It could be something small like trying to cut down on Diet Coke that one's for me, or something big like applying for a new job. But whatever it is, we want to encourage you to go for it. And then tell your story on social media, but be sure to tag us as Fail Forward Pod and hashtag Discomfort Challenge. We're going to share those stories on our page, and we are really excited to hear from you. We don't know where the, what the future holds, and I think for our own sake to be able to say, what did you do when that was happening? Right. You want to be able to say to your kids, no, I was there. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. And a blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. I'm really excited to introduce Anne Chambers. What's crazy, Anne, and I know you're going to remember this. So I think it was 10 years ago I interviewed you for another podcast when I did those women's leadership podcasts, which I probably need to apologize to you. Sarah, you were just ahead of your time, sister, as usual. Oh, my gosh. It was so much fun. I didn't do anything with them, but um, I think it was I was supposed to do that so that I could do these later on, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I, but I do think you were so far ahead of your time. And it was fun then. And the fact that you didn't get it out doesn't matter. You did it. That's right. You That's did right. It. So everybody, this is Ann Chambers. She's been um, a little bit of my idol. Yes, it's true. And we'll get into why um, in a little bit. And I'll share with you all when I first met Anne and, of course, went and introduced myself to her. Uh, <laughs> Anne is the co-founder of Certifiably. I love that name. And you're going to share with us what that is. She also is an ex-P&Ger, Procter & Gamble. So she's got that corporate experience. And then you bought Red 212, which was an ad agency. You bought that from Procter & Gamble, right? Yes. And then you owned that for how many years? And then you, you sold it, didn't no, you? No, I still own it. You mm-hmm. still own it? I still own it. Still operating it today. And it's, we bought it in 2001, so 17 years ago. Okay. Do you have other people working there, though, yeah. too? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought, you, yeah. Yeah. So you're still the CEO. I'm still the CEO. Okay. But it's, yep, it's still there and going strong. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So can we just start off with a little bit? Where did you grow up? Where? Tell me about your family, that uh, kind of stuff. Always fun. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I grew up in Buffalo. New York. And okay. yeah, Buffalo, New York. And I'm number seven out of 12 kids. Really? Which is a funny kind okay, of way to I grow ask, up. Like Catholic? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> yes. <Okay>. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can ask. And yes, it's ca- Catholic. Um, and that was a blast. I have seven sisters and four brothers, and we had our first sisters reunion this year in Buffalo. <laughs> it was that. really very funny, but we had a blast. And everybody is still living. Yes, which incredible. Is, yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Okay, awesome. Yep. yep. So seven. Okay, Can't. so seven sisters. Seven sisters, four, four brothers. brothers. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you notice I had to pause on that? Yeah, math. you had to do that math, Sarah. Of course, it was a blast. You know, you can imagine it was kind of crazy growing up, but it was it was a blast. We had a good time. We okay. even went to see our where we grew up when we went on our little reunion. You did. <laughs> it was sweet. That is so nice. Yeah, it's really cool. So okay, so you grew up in Buffalo. 
seven sisters, four brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody go to college. Everybody, what, uh, what was that about like? Half and half. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, I would. Say, well, I'd say more than half went to college. Okay. We all. It was Catholic schools for the most part, and then um, I decided I couldn't take the Catholic schools when I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. So my brother and I were like, "Mom, this is it. We're quitting. We're going to public school." And then all the younger siblings went to public schools because we made that choice. Nice. <laughs> it was silly. But that what, was kind of my, the way I did things was slightly always different. The rebel. I like that. Mm-hmm. And what did your parents do? Well, my mom took care of 12 kids, mm-hmm. policing all day long and cooking, you can imagine, and cleaning and doing laundry all day long. And my dad had different jobs. Um, he was ma- He usually had two jobs. And he was mainly, he was a brilliant guy, went to Colgate, um, but was, he had 12 kids. So he ended up um, doing sales for a milk, for a dairy company. Okay. His and then career. working at night. No different jobs. He actually was an interesting guy because I, I would say he's an, he was a wannabe entrepreneur because he had more ideas. He had, he had, um, what do you call it? Peel off or peel on nail yes. tips that he wanted to sell, and, and they're those doing became it again. famous. And those became famous, but he never did it. But he had them. Yeah, he was all into inventing that stuff. So he was cool. My dad was really cool. Okay, so he was sort of the entrepreneurial model for mm-hmm. you. Okay, mm-hmm. so you go to school, you get out of school, you go straight to Proctor. Yeah. Well, let's let me just say I didn't yeah. go to school. I never you graduated didn't. from college. I dropped out of school. I love that about you. Thank you. <laughs> I no, do. I didn't. Um, college was not for me. I tried it. Yeah. And um, two things happened. One is uh, I went to a class where the guy, the professor, was so arrogant, telling me that this was going to be the most important thing I ever did in my life was his class, <laughs> that I got so mad. I just like stomped out after the class and walked across campus. I can still see it to this day, marching across there going, damn it, I've got to be successful, even though I'm not going to ever come back to this college. It was the University of Buffalo. Okay. And I was just done. But I knew that that really was the impetus for me that, okay, now there's no turning back. If you're quitting, you're going to have to figure out how to be successful. So what did you do? Well, I just did what I did over time i figured out how to be successful <laughs> no but i mean well, first i didn't of all, i guess to, what did i do after that to work for procter and gamble most people would have to oh, have a right, college degree right, or right. a master's right that was tricky wasn't it <laughs> i don't yeah. know I, I must be the last person they hired without stop, a college degree stop. seriously it was not very many people got hired without a college degree i don't know how that happened uh, i got hired by an amazing guy named jim cochran who was like one of my favorite people on the planet. He, he passed away this year, mm-hmm. um, but he's just an awesome guy. And that's how I get into Proctor, which really changed my life. So, Proctor changes everybody's life. Yeah, did you, was it always like the creative side? Well, I didn't go to Proctor until I was oh, well into my career. I was mid-career when I went to Proctor. It was late 40s. Okay. So all before that, I was an entrepreneur and always on the creative side. Yeah, I never I was, knew that. Yeah, yeah. No, I never. I was only at Proctor for 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So what were some of the businesses before that? Well, I was always in the on the creative side. And I was always in um, production, always in commercial production. So I started out as a rep for some of the best directors in New York. And then my husband and I started a production company. 
And uh, it was after that that I went to Proctor. Okay, so do you move to New York City? Like, do you leave Buffalo and move to New York City? Yes, I did move to New York City. And, oh my gosh, I there is a story around that that I could I, I will tell that's probably not going to, you'll probably edit it Who out. cares? I want to hear it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But it is a crazy story. Yeah. Okay, so I, I became a flight attendant because I wanted to figure out where I wanted to live. That was it. Brilliant. I was like, I'm just going to get on planes and go to cities and figure out where I wanted to live, which was great and fun. But I was also not cut out to be a flight attendant because the work wasn't good. And there were tons of rules, like things like you can't wear this <laughs> necklace that your boyfriend gave you. It's like, what? So I, would, I was a terrible, always have been a terrible rule follower. So I, I was trying to make it through the six-month probation period. But like the last week of it, I had a fight with my manager. So I got fired <laughs> from being a flight attendant. But on the last night, right before I got fired, you're, you're going to love this story. I... Um, was looking to make friends with people in New York when I was living there. And so I asked somebody uh, about it who, who had some friends in New York. And she said, oh, I'm, I've got a friend that you should meet. He knows everybody. And you'll meet him. And it'll be, you know, you'll just meet him. And he'll introduce you to people. So I said, awesome. So I make a dinner date with Harvey Weinstein. No. <laughs> You're lying. No, that's a true story. And the story gets better. He, first of all, nothing happened. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> That's what I was wondering. <laughs> but um, it was the it was this ages me. It was the it was in 1977, and it was the blackout of New York City. The entire city blacked out. Oh my God! <laughs> and Harvey Weinstein had to walk down 34 flights of stairs to get to the street from my apartment. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, anyway, that's a funny story Wait, to me. so <clears throat> I, did, did you stay in touch with him? No. That, just a one-time, yeah, he'll we just introduce had, you. <clears throat> yeah, we just went, we could. We went across the street. There was You couldn't take a cab. You could, we couldn't go to dinner. All we could do was walk across the street to the closest place and have a drink. And, and then I walked back upstairs, and that was the end of it. Oh, my God. Isn't that hilarious? That's crazy. I mean, who knew? So anyway, so that happened. Then I moved to Cincinnati because I followed my high school sweetheart here. Okay. And he was in law school at Chase. Okay. And so I came here, and eventually we didn't stay married. And one of the reasons, and I, again, another thing that we'll probably want to cut out. Maybe not. One of the things that I told him when we got when we divorced was that he was going to stay in this godforsaken city and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> and how many years later? Uh, 40 years later, here so, I still am. Isn't that ridiculous? Oh my God, I love that. I don't know how many years it's been, honestly, but yeah. it's been forever. Yeah. So that's how I came here and I intended to leave and then I fell in love again with my current husband, Cliff Schwander, the amazing artist, artist. Cliff Schwander. So... That's how I got to Cincinnati. But, you know, you talked about the universe even before we started. And I have a friend from Proctor who said, when I told him that story, he said, well, that was your first husband's gift to you, to get you in the right place. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I really love that. Mm -hmm. It's cool to think of it that way. Yeah. Because I never would have found my way to Cincinnati, but it's been great to me. Oh, that's cool. Okay. All right. So okay. So then I came yeah. to Cincinnati. I got involved in the production business, and um, then eventually got hired at Proctor for that reason. So that's how I got to Proctor. Okay. I went okay. in as a um, in the advertising development, 
department, I guess it was yeah. called, and I was a commercial production manager for the beauty care brands mostly. So I got to have all the fun stuff. Yeah. So why did they have then an internal production house? Yeah. Or? Mm-hmm. They okay. did, and I went to work there. And I went to work there kicking and screaming. Um, I did not want to go to work there. Well, so here's they were great. I did five years of beauty care brands. Yes. It was really fun, traveling around the world, working with all kinds of beautiful models and stuff. <clears throat> and then, um, as you know, I adopted Annie. We, my husband and I, Cliff and I, adopted Annie in 1995. And I didn't want to travel anymore. So Proctor, they're so good about accommodating people and trying to make your career work for you. Yeah. So they said, well, why don't you go out and be the executive producer at our in-house production company, which was way out in Woodlawn. It's a horrific, you know, Okay. So track. it's a suburb <coughs> from Cincinnati. Yeah. Suburb of Cincinnati. And so I, um, so I did that. And um, it was, because it was so far away from the headquarters, it was like running we had our own little ten person. Ten people were out there, and we just had a blast. It was your own culture, kind of. Yeah, it was our own culture. It was our own gig. We just had a blast. <laughs> so that's anyway. I ended up buying that, okay, and then turning that into an ad agency. We were doing basically what agencies did from start to finish, but we called it a production company. Okay, so working for large corporate, what was your? What were some of your key takeaways or learnings? Oh well, first of all. There's nothing like working at Proctor to learn about business and and to be able to see how it's done, you know, to really get the how, – how brands are built, how they're made. Uh, amazing opportunity because I got to work on all the brands, right? So yeah. different from most people who go there who work on, a, you know, a few, I got to work on – to witness a lot of them, I would say, not work on, but to, right. to really observe. And so I, I really learned – so much and working with the brilliant people at Proctor is such a privilege. They're all so darn smart. And that was the hardest part of choosing to leave was knowing that, that I wasn't going to be working with them um, that closely. But the other thing that I learned is it's really hard to get anything done inside a big corporation. It's yeah. just like you can't good ideas get buried. You can't you can't I found that you couldn't get good ideas to the surface. Yeah. So that was very frustrating for me. But I did love the culture and I love the people. Were you able to be entrepreneurial enough? Not at all. No, that's right. what drove me crazy. Yeah. I had, you know, ideas. I would have ideas and it'd be like they'd go nowhere and then, you know. So when did you realize that you needed to switch? That you needed to buy it and you needed to do something um, different? I was ready to, I was actually going to leave PNG and start my food company, Bright Future Foods. I was getting ready to do that. And then the opportunity came up to buy Redna. It was called Redna at the time. And um, so I, we had to make a choice. You know, I had to make a choice what I was going to do. And I, I figured, well, since I know how to do production and marketing, maybe I should do that instead of trying to learn the food business, which I didn't know at all. Right. So I did that. When I left Proctor, I, we bought that and we did the production business. Okay. And it was cool because, honestly, Sarah, it was um, my family was in the production business, but my daughter and her husband were in Chicago. My yes. husband was working in L.A. half the time. In fact, we have a crazy he, story. He was? Yeah. He's, he was a director. And he, we he, well, we had an office. Before I went to Proctor, we had an office in L.A. And so he, he still had that office. And one day... 
we were, I was in LA for a shoot. He was in LA for a shoot, but we didn't know that we were both in LA for a shoot until we bumped into each other in Venice when we were crossing the street. We bumped into each other. And we were both after that, like, "Mm, you know what? (laughs) We need to pull this in. We need to rein this, this, this little family in. So when we bought the business, it allowed all of us to come and work together in in Cincinnati because you couldn't make a living in Cincinnati in that industry then. So we we bought that and created an opportunity for all of us to work together. That's cool. so cool. And you still and do. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. I did not know that Cliff was a director. Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't it funny when you first. think artists that you don't think director, oh, right. which yeah. is silly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so is he also like a painter artist? Now or? he's a painter artist. Okay. He's he doesn't direct anymore. He doesn't now do that he anymore. does amazing beautiful work oh now i'm gonna have to we'll have to put a link in there too for his work oh yeah yeah, that'd be really cool it would be fun yeah okay so then when i started to get to know you or hear about you so Mm -hmm. so for our listeners so i don't know if you remember but it was the cincinnati chamber had a luncheon and it was you and i don't know who else are speaking at the lunch i can't remember and i was there with my friend nicole and nicole has an adopted has two adopted children and she and I both went up and started talking to you because you created mommy 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 it was at is it still around it's not around anymore okay but it was at a mommy and mm-hmm. that was the brand right yep and the brand and the tagline was I want my mommy it's adorable yeah so it was to, it was a mission-driven brand to raise awareness of adoption yes mm-hmm. and so she like loved you and I loved you and I was like <laughs> I so nice I um I didn't really have a ton of role models of women that I knew that worked in the corporate world and then went out on their own and started a couple things because at that point you had read 212 mm-hmm. and you had the food mm-hmm. um and I still and this was on another one of my podcasts. Um, I think there's still a myth out there for men and women that you have to stick to one job or one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And what a shame that is. It's so not how a good did you know idea. it was OK? <laughs> it's not a good idea. to. Do. Oh, I don't know, Sarah. I think I mean, I think it's human nature for some people not every human, but for some people, I think you just, um, well, first of all, knowing something is okay, that's a funny thing I have to think about there for a second because it, it wouldn't cross my mind that it wasn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. to, so to ask the question, how did I know it was okay? There was, there, I, don't, I don't have that kind of way of thinking. Is this okay? Is this not okay? I just kind of have always been pretty true to myself about knowing what I need to do and I don't really ask that question. Well, and you also were okay with breaking rules. Oh, well, right. So that right? might be part of it too. So you kind of you said you yeah. were always sort of a rebel. Right. Yeah, so So for I those of us who aren't always well, a rebel. Right. How? Well, I think that idea that you have to have one thing in life, I hope that that's an old idea i hope i think especially millennials i think i really like doing that plus they all have a side gig plus they yeah you know it's a whole different mindset which is really exciting yes and just to think about um you know the numbers the percentages of people and moving forward that are going to be having they're going to be independent 
Right. They're going to be free, the freelance community. Or yeah. Gig. The gig community. The gig I just economy. Read a, a gig right. economy. I just read an article about that. Yeah. Right. So I think that a lot of people are going to be empowered to do what they need and want to do, which is cool. <clears throat> Plus, the platforms that are out there that are enabling people to work, you know, Upwork, TaskRabbit, there's so many ways to, to work right now Yeah, that it's different. I, I think that um, I also think that in life, you know, you, you be, if you think about it, if you think of the cells that we're born with, we don't have any of those same cells. We're different people today for, on a cellular level than we were when we were born, and we're different when we were toddlers and teenagers. So if you think that your whole body is completely different yeah. on a cellular level, on a cellular level, why would you th feel that you're the same person in the sense that you'd want to have the same job through that whole period of time when you're, you're literally a different person? That's such a good analogy. I, mean, I didn't even think about it ever that way. I'm sure I stole that from somebody. Whatever. We're yeah. going to trademark it as you. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. So I think it's important for people to stay tuned into ideas. The other thing that I think about ideas is that I don't think people can own an idea. I think that ideas are in the universe and that when you do have an idea, it's a gift. Yeah. And if you choose to embrace it, I think you're more of a shepherd of the idea than the um, creator of the idea. When do you feel like you have been a shepherd of an idea? Um, well, I, I for sure with mommy felt like I was a shepherd, but more than anything with Certifiably with my new company, I feel like it's I'm shepherding an idea that's been out there that needs to just be realized. Yeah. And so I it's nice when you feel like you're the shepherd of something though, because you it's like you're you know, think of yourself as a sheepdog, right? You're like, I gotta get this thing done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to be a sheepdog. You just gotta like wrangle it and make it happen, right? So, so yeah. how do you know when you're supposed to be the sheepdog, the shepherd? I think when something is, I think when something hits you. How do you personally how do know, I know when it hits you? What, uh, what is just that, when how I does that manifest? Go. It just manifests. Uh, it manifests in um, almost just a relentless, that's all I think about. So for me, this idea of business as a force for good. Yes. Um, has been kind of my mantra for a long time, long time. But it's almost for me like breathing. Like I just like, that's it. Come on. Let's just get on board because that's what business should be doing. And that's what we're all about. Yeah. So for me, it's more like breathing than anything. So it was easy for me to know. So if you um, were teaching Annie or not Annie. What's your daughter's Annie. name? She won't it listen to me. But if I okay. if I could have an opportunity to teach her, that would be interesting. <laughs> I she's a free spirit too, oh, isn't she? I remember yes. that. Annie's so a free spirit. if you were to teach Annie, or doesn't matter if it's mm -hmm. Annie, anybody, mm -hmm. how are they how can they become aware of mm. things that they need to shepherd? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I mean I would say that 
meditation is the first thing. You sort of just have to have a practice. Like, do you do do you regularly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to have a quiet practice, I think, and understand that the universe is working on your behalf, and be confident that the universe is working on your behalf. And then I think. Um, I don't have those external signs. I think you talked about that in one of the podcasts, right? Yeah. Did you, with N- Nidira talks about external signs, like from people. Right. She was saying, because sometimes her self-talk can be so negative, mm-hmm. she was saying when she gets it externally from people. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 so I think that's one perspective, but mm-hmm. I think there are other perspectives because not everybody is going to get the external. Right. Some people might have the in, are really... Some people get it through the internal voice, like through meditation that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yes. And I also think once you sort of get it where you need to go or think you get where you need to go, yeah. what I try to encourage people, and if I were teaching you know, my daughter, is to not worry about how it's going to happen, but just to believe that it's going to happen and that it'll show up when it needs to show up. The pieces yeah. show up when they need to show up. And not worrying about how is like the biggest gift, I think. Do you ever worry about how? No. Damn, you're good. Well, I don't know. I just don't. I Because I can't figure out how, so I just have to go one day at a time and figure out, you know, mm-hmm. and figure it out that way. But I don't, I'm not a worrier. So I'm a warrior, but I'm not a worrier. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> So I really do. Um, so I would say for this podcast, it's been interesting. I It's the first time that I haven't completely obsessively worried about the how. And it just happened. It just happened that you it did it. It just happened. Isn't that awesome? And From, it's so great what it you're It is doing. so great. Oh, Ugh. well, thank you. It's the people like you that are on the mm. show that are so great. Uh, so that was the first time. And also... Uh, Things fell into place that I didn't. I didn't have any expectations around. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I was like, oh my gosh, Gwen Sound is writing a piece of music just for this show. I never would have had an expectation that could ever be done. I love all all of the stuff that you've done for the show. It's all the Thanks. sounds on the at the yeah. beginning. It's so great. They wrote that I for love it. it. Oh, I mean, I'm so like, good. oh my god. I never would have expected it's that. It's awesome. No, no. Right. Isn't that? And the surprises like that are so delightful, right? They just like make you want to move forward. Yeah. So that obviously always, but yeah. You've go been ahead. a worrier in the past oh, or a how? A total in the past? obsessive worrier. <laughs> oh my God. Like <laughs> always. So are you, um, do you do the Enneagram? Do you know what number you are? Yes, I'm a seven. Six. You're seven I'm and a you're seven. a worrier? Yes, I'm a, I will. Obs- okay, let me just say, I will reframe it. I will worry oh, about it. Yeah. I'll obsess about it, but then I quickly reframe it. Oh, okay. To positive. Well, that, okay, good. As long but as the positive the- <laughs> is kind of a lie to me sometimes. You know what well, I mean? Cause you're, uh, well, of course, because you, you understand yourself. Yes. Yeah. That's what are all. you? Seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I'm not as deep as you are because I, I don't appreciate the reframing. <laughs> <laughs> I just think sevens are not warriors. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I could go into a morbid space for sure. Wow. Mm -hmm. But I can't stay there long. I also think the Enneagram is an incredible tool for people to use. It is an incredible tool. Mm -hmm. I learned a ton about myself 
and about my husband. What's your yeah, husband? Yeah, he's a one. <gasps> oh, honey. <I> know. <laughs> That's hard. And my sister is a one. Oh. So my only sister is a one, and I married a one. But you know what they do? They ground me. Mm. The ones mm-hmm. are going to, well, they ground seven me. goes to one. Seven goes to one, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for those listening, if you don't understand um, Enneagram, check it out. It's a really cool uh, communication tool to use, and it is helpful. Mm-hmm. I like some others, though, maybe a little bit more for a work perspective. Mm. I prefer social styles and disc from mm-hmm. a work perspective because Enneagram is really hard to remember all of the styles. Mm. There are nine, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, there are nine. Whereas disc has four and so does social oh, styles. So yeah, from yeah, a work yeah. perspective, mm-hmm. it's uh-huh. I, I like those a little bit more. But yes. Okay. Um, can we talk about the business as a force for good? Yes. Because you love that. <clears throat> I do love that. Why do you love it? Um, well, because I... there? What? And how'd you get oh, there with it? Um, let's see. I think that I got there. This kind of goes back. So I love it because I think that, that you know, we've relied on government. We've relied on religion. We've relied on all these, you know, forces to take care of things, to take care of social issues. Yeah. And we, we can see that the social issues still exist. It's not being taken care of. But business, I think, it requires resources. To, to, to address social issues requires people, money. It just requires all that stuff. And the... Um, the non-government organizations aren't getting it all done, and I think that business is the place that it's going to get done because that's where all the resources are. I mean, right. it takes money to do anything, right. right? And that's where all the money is. It's right. in business. So I, uh, but I think there's just a uh, there are so many business leaders now that are doing amazing, great things. So how it came to me, I think, was um, one thing that happened was I was. Um, at my mother's house in the 70s again, or 80s, I don't remember when it was really, and she, my mother was always like this. She would come into the room and she'd go, you have to read this article. She's always reading. So she had Dorothy Day or she had, she was just always reading something. So she hands me this Time magazine or something and it was an article about Anita Roddick, who's okay. my like hero person. And she started the body shop. Oh, and right. total rebel. Talk about a rebel. So, And her whole vision was to go into villages, find the ingredients, and then create a business for the village. And this was way before anybody was doing it. Yes. Do you remember her? Uh, I name? totally do. <clears throat> and I loved the body shop. Right. I actually, a really good friend of mine's mom <clears throat> opened two here. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Helen Heakin, it's a shout out for you. Oh. Yes. Anyway. Heakin, yeah. Um. So that kind of, and then my mother was like, you have to go meet her. <laughs> okay, mom, she lived in England. No, I'm not going to meet her. But it really got me tuned into what businesses could possibly do in the world. And then um, <clears throat> much later on, well, you asked earlier about Bill and Warren Day. So that's connected. Yeah, tell them what Bill and Warren Day is. So Bill and Warren Day was really a fun thing that we did to celebrate businesses that were making a difference in the world. And where it came from is um, in 2006, maybe, I was at a family reunion and the announcement, the, the news came out that Warren Buffett was giving all of his fortune to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. 
And we were like ecstatic because we were like, yeah, you know, this is such a game changer. Business is never going to be the same. Look what these business leaders are doing. So a year later, nothing, crickets. Nobody was talking about it. In 2006, it was all over the news. In 2007, it was like it never happened. Why? <clears throat> I don't know. Okay. But we decided in 2007 that that was a shame and that it needed to be celebrated. So we <laughs> created Bill and Warren Day in 2008. And then we celebrated Bill and Warren Day every year for like four or five years. But the whole idea was to recognize and celebrate businesses that were making a difference in the world. So we had speakers like we had Neil Blumenthal from Warby Parker. Oh, cool. Very cool. He came in. He set up He set up like a pop-up shop of eyeglasses. This is probably 2000, right when they started, the year, whatever oh year that God. was. Oh, it was a blast. We had Jonathan Greenblatt from Ethos Water. He sold that company to um, Starbucks, but we had great speakers. So anyway, that's, so business as a force for change. And so that's just, uh, What are some other examples my, of businesses for, of force for change? Um, well, a great example is Patagonia. Yes. Right? So we love Patagonia. And I love their work culture. Oh, their culture is amazing. So Rose Marcario is the CEO. Okay. Amazing woman. And since they have gotten more and more and more um, committed to, you know, the environment and being vocal about what needs to happen in the world, they are like one of the best examples. Their business has grown from, so I'm going to give you rough numbers, yeah. something like $250 million to almost a billion dollars because people love the fact that they're activists. So they're activists. I mean, that's they use their business as a force for change. They're awesome. Okay. Can I ask you, when you grew up, I, I, I don't want to, like, yeah, you step can, on okay. an age thing. <laughs> but were you, like, how young were you for, like, the 60s and... I was actively active. engaged in the 60s. Probably. You were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was a little on the young side. Yeah, totally. For sure. You look it, too. But. <laughs> you do actually really look it. But I was. Okay. All right. That was so that was to me. an implant. That definitely was an experience for you. That affected you. That. Yeah. I can't use my words right now, but. No, because you. you yeah. So I was quite. I was young when I realized that you could be an activist. And. Uh, and this so, is how you're an activist. Right. Yeah, this is me being an activist, is, is activating businesses and being involved that way. Okay. How else can how else have you been an activist? Well, I started being an activist when I well, I'm an activist. I mean I'm I'm actively engaged in women impacting public policy. And so I testified uh, with a small business committee. No, so um, tell us about that. Uh, it was just a very cool opportunity. Um, there was uh, so Steve Shabbat is the head of the Small Business Committee. Okay, and, and Steve Shabbat is a local congressman, congressman for the state of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he invited women impacting public policy to be one of the speakers. That they were just they were holding a hearing from different types of small businesses. I think they had four speakers, and so women. WIP, Women Impacting Public Policy, which is located in D.C., contacted me and said, hey, I was, I'm was i a member. Um, and so they said, you know, since it's Shabbat, why don't we have why don't we have you come in and testify if you're willing? So I did. It was great. It was just, uh, you, you know, talk my, about? I talked about access to capital, which is a really big issue for me and for all women. Why? Because, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, 
knowing that less than 4% of venture capital money went to women entrepreneurs is a very staggering number to me. Why is that? Why is that so? It's just life. I mean, it's just, yeah, why is that so? It's ridiculous. Because I had Rob McDonald in here, and I know for a fact that they were purposeful and intentional around, they want to invest in women business, women-owned businesses and I minority. Love I love those guys for what they're doing. Yeah. They're so, doing great things. So if there are people that are doing that, why is it still so low? Well, hopefully, you know, we'll see maybe 2018 will be different, but the number actually went down in 2017 from 2016. So, but with the Me Too movement, I think we're going to see the numbers go up in 2018. Okay. What else <clears throat> does WIP focus on? Well, from, uh, we were talking about tax reform, um, access to capital, and then gender parity. Okay. Be, you know, their, their whole WIP's purpose is to, oh, my God, they're an amazing organization, actually. Their purpose is to help women get government contracts. So they were the group behind, um, behind the quota that was set for the by the Small Business Administration to have 5% of the contracts from all the government work go to women. Now, it took almost 16 years to get to 5%. From the day they said, we're going to go to 5% and give 5% of the contracts to women till they actually made that happen, took 16 years. Again, I'm going to ask the same question, why? Is it because there weren't women-owned businesses that could provide that service? Well, that's what they would say, but there certainly there were, and you can certainly cultivate businesses too, right? There is a maybe the maybe they maybe it's a small business that needs some handholding, but no, I don't think it, that's the reason. I think it's that um, our world is skewed. So, how do we change that? Well, I think. Engaging in organizations like women impacting public policy, supporting, showing up, you know, going to the being part of the march last year. I mean, okay, can I talk to you about the march thing? Yeah. And this is kind of getting personal, but I'm really okay okay with it. Okay. And I talked to some of my friends. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to share this or not. Well, maybe I could say this is a friend said this because I don't want to get too political. But all right. I don't know how I feel about abortion. Okay, okay. grow up Catholic. Nobody likes abortion. Nobody likes abortion. Nobody I don't know likes how, it. I don't know how I feel about pro-choice. Okay. Okay. So with, I think we're going to leave this in here. So with the march, I wanted to do the march, but I'm not a totally pro-choice person. Now, do I want Roe v. Wade overturned? No, mm-hmm. but I don't. I'm not a I'm not a big pro-choicer, right? And so I said to my friends that were pro-choice, I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here because I'm not. And I had a split. I had a split. Some people were like, yeah, I don't know if you really would have fit in there. And then other people were like, no, you know what? We should have been inclusive regardless of that. Yeah. No, it's not just about one thing. It's about women's rights in general. Because um, there, there are more issues. There's so many issues. I mean, we just talked about the money issues. I mean, there, things are just not the. They're not fair. So we get to gender equality. The right to make your own decision about your body is one of the things that we fight for, but it's not the only thing that we fight for. And to go back to the abortion, I'll just say, no one likes abortion, but. 
But as a woman, I sure as hell don't want a man deciding whether or not what I can do with my body. Whatever it is I want to do with my body, it's nobody's business but mine. Got it. That's okay. my, That's how I feel about it. I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm simply saying You're sharing as your... a woman, I mean, come on. I mean, it gets down to silly things. Vi- healthcare pays for Viagra but doesn't pay for birth control in some place. I mean, what is this? It's craziness Yeah. That, that we're not on equal, that it's not an equal playing field. I love that you're such an activist. This is what we were supposed to talk about today. Oh, right. <laughs> Activism. Get out there. Do stuff. So right? the way I started, I'll tell you a funny story. I think it's funny. I don't know if it's funny. But it was so long ago. Um, I was I hitchhiked down from where I live. I was always hitchhiking. I hitchhiked <laughs> with my girlfriend. <laughs> it was a different time. You I know. Hitchhike. I know. So I hitchhiked with my girlfriend down to the University of Buffalo, which was down the street from... It wasn't hard to get to. And we were going to listen to some people talk about a famine that was going on in Africa in the 60s. It was in it was called Biafra. And so I thought there would be tons of people going to hear this, you know, conversation about this. And so my girlfriend and I go in and there's like two guys leading it. And there's about, you know, maybe six other people in the room and they're all college students. And so... They decide. They announced that they're going to have a march. It was called a march on hunger, and there weren't marches in at that time. There weren't. There was never like raise money. You know how every Saturday yeah. somebody has a race or a run. Right, 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 right. You know, that wasn't the world. There was no such thing. I think that maybe there was a march of dimes, but there was no such concept. So they're like, "This is how it's going to work. We're going to raise money, blah blah blah, and it's going to all go to this um, hunger project and uh, to help the babies and the kids." It's where I learned horrible words like kwashiokor babies who have the distended bellies, and it was just it was just a, a really sad, miserable time. So anyway, they said we need somebody to organize all the high schools and colleges to make sure that all the students come. And so I'm like, literally, fifteen, maybe fourteen years old. I was a kid, and basically they said, "Well, you're in high school. You take Get out. that job. I swear." And we had the biggest March, you can't, a quarter of the people in Hamilton County, not Hamilton County, Erie County in Buffalo, yeah. a quarter of the population showed up and walked 20 miles. You're it was the most incredible me. thing I ever saw. So the power of activism and getting people engaged in something and getting them, like people walked 20 miles, yeah, including everybody in my family. It was a wild thing in Buffalo. So that got, that's what, where it got me started. That's what got me started. That's where you got the bug. That's where I got the bug At 15. To, to make things happen. That's a, such a cool story. It was fun. I'll never forget it. It was really a blast. So how do we reactivate it now? Well, now how it's is it getting reactivating? Now it's, now reactivated. It's, well, I think right now, I mean, I think we're in such a mess right now. I mean, politically, it's so it's really important for people to to have a voice. <clears throat> I think social media is important for people to engage. Um, but but opportunities like the march in Washington and all the marches that happened, you know, in every city. I think it's important to be to step up and be there. And I also think for your own, we don't know where the, what the future holds. And I think for our own sake, to be able to say. What did you do when that was happening? 
Right. You want to be able to say to your kids, no, I was there. Here's I how I up. stood up. As opposed to a lot of, you know, what we're looking at with our congressmen and senators who many are not stepping up so or staying quiet. I went and saw the Ruth. I haven't seen it yet. I'm so ashamed. Yeah. RGB. Uh, RBG. RBG. I can't wait to see it. It's so good. And even as a moderate, mm-hmm. I saw it. And um, I said to my girlfriends who have daughters, I'm like, you have to take them to go see this. Doesn't matter where you are politically. Uh, it's a history lesson. Lesson. Yeah. She's so amazing. I can't wait to see it. I'm glad you saw it. Yeah. And I like that you describe yourself as a moderate because I know you, you have an open mind. I try to. No, I think you do. Thank you. I think you do. We have a lot of, you know, we've had conversations about a lot of things in the past. Yeah. I think it's important to have an open mind. And not everybody, we're all different. Right. And that's okay. And that's okay. Because we're all living on this planet. We have to all be okay. So we've talked about activism, which is so your soul, spirit, and your Mm -hmm. passion. Mm -hmm. Any failures or lessons that you can share from those failures for our listeners? Um, so, well, obviously, yeah, we've all had a lot of failures. Um, and maybe some, maybe something around the gender equality piece, because I think that, uh, I've got something. Yeah. Just kidding. Well, I I think that different generations, like a younger generation might not have had the same experience that you had or that I had. Mm -hmm. And it's just different. So I think it's always important to share what you went through because you paved the way for us. Um, yeah, so there's a, there are a couple things. One, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you two things. One is that um, relative to gender parity, there was an issue in one of my jobs where I was um, discriminated against because of I, I was not given the same salary as and the same... Um, what do you call it, title or whatever, as the guy that I was replacing. And um, I really went to battle over it. I was just livid. And I almost quit the company that I was working for at the time. And someone more senior than, uh, you know, somebody who was in my uh, management organization came to me and said, you know, okay, I understand all of this, but don't, don't quit your job in anger. Um, you really need to, You, I just want you to think about taking, staying where you are, working through it, and then, and then leave after you work through the issue that you were having with the other people in the team. And I was so mad at him for saying that to me. I was just pissed off, you know. But I took his advice and, and I stayed and, you know, I was able to work through it and ended up becoming really good friends with the people that I was having issues with and it it all worked out so it was it was uh, on the one hand really important that I stepped up because I did in fact get what I needed and wanted but I also learned a really really important lesson about not doing things and not leaving in, in anger and allowing time to heal so that's a, for me time healing especially where I am at this point in my life it's amazing how time can heal and not holding that resentment because holding that resentment right is only a poison for you right it is that's right and so can i ask when you spoke up to to get when you went to bat for that mm-hmm. title and the salary 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how did, I guess, how did you do it? Well, let me tell you for sure, I did not do it in a gracious, lovely manner. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I literally did it kicking and screaming. And it, because to me, when something is so obviously wrong, yeah, it's I, I lose my sense. <laughs> so so I, I can't really give advice on the best way to do it because it was not pleasant for anybody. <laughs> so right. I can't give you advice on that other than to say, you know, do it, but do find it. a lovely way to do to it. To do it, yeah. <laughs> there are lovely ways to take issue with things. You don't always have to be ugly about it. <laughs> I, yeah, but you, but you had a voice around it. Not everybody would have had their voice. Yeah, that's probably true. You had the confidence to be able to say, no, I actually deserve this. Yeah. Oh, right. I mean, honestly, it wasn't just that I deserve deserved it, which I did. But the job that I was being asked to do could not be done without the without the levels of authority that had to be in place. Oh, gotcha. So if I had to have the authority and responsibility for it, uh, I was being given the responsibility, but not the authority. Got so it. So I had to have, there had to be a hierarchy to get this particular job done. Cool. So that was clear to me. And it was like, don't put me in a position to, to fail. Yeah. Speaking of failing, yeah. I would have been put in a position where I couldn't do the job and I would have failed. And if you hadn't gotten gotten that would you've walked eventually oh yeah for sure yeah for sure yeah for sure for sure okay uh, what's the, the second, second one? thing was you t- you asked me earlier we talked about mame <clears throat> and whether or not it was still around and mame um ended we had a deal with with kroger we had a lot of great things going on but we we tried to raise capital and this was in 2005 and so you, you know i just mentioned to you that in 2000 in 2017, women got less than 4% of the venture capital. We tried to raise money in 2005, and we couldn't get arrested. And But at the time, um, I felt like I failed because mm-hmm. we had to shut down the company. It was a sense of, um, of loss more than failure because I was so happy that we did it, even though it failed or even though it shut down. But now, so many years later, I realize it, if I had had access to capital the way women should have had access to capital, we would be we would have been fine. Yeah. We just didn't have the funding. You said it was more of a loss versus a failure. What In your head, what's the difference? Oh, um, I think. Sometimes failure gets wrapped up with the word mistake. Yeah. Like you made a mistake. You really, you really, that was a. Messed that up. You messed that up and that was a failure. I never felt like it was a mistake. I don't feel like that. I, but I felt like it was a loss because it was, you know, it, it was a good, it was a cool thing. You know, Seth Godin, I always love his stuff. He talks about being able to recognize, as you did with Blown, when a project needs to stop. Mm-hmm. And you're able to say, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to stop this project. And it was an awesome project, and now it's done. Yeah. And that's so different when you think of it that way. Like, I did this. It was a cool thing. Yeah. And now it's, the time is done for this project. Right. As opposed to, I mean, things have a right to end. Yes. You don't have to think of them as a failure because they had to end. 
So one of the purposes of this podcast is so that people don't see failure as a mistake. I love your reference to that. But that it's it could be the end of something, right? It mm-hmm. could be the life cycle of something. Mm-hmm. And so if it's the life cycle of something, what are you learning from it? Because there's right. always going to be a rebirth, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's always going to be something new that comes from it. Mm-hmm. Right. But we don't always see it as that. It ha- mm-hmm. For some people, it's like final and it's not good and I'm going to ignore it. No, I totally agree with you that it that it's so often it's the start of something new, but it's oh I think it's I it's like AA, right? It's like accept that it's happening and ask what you can learn from it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Say I'm that sure, again. I'm sure I didn't make that up too. Whatever. Say it again. AA, ask and accept. Or it could be AAA, ask, acknowledge. No, not ask. Accept, acknowledge. Acknowledge, accept, and ask, I think, are the three I was thinking about. Acknowledge, accept, and ask. Acknowledge that it has to happen. Accept it for what it is. And then ask, you know, what am I learning from it? Yeah. I think that's what you do with with failure. Failure. I just don't want people to see failure as a four-letter word, you know? No, right. And it's so good you're doing this because if you don't, you know, if you're not doing stuff, if you're not keep innovating, you know, if you're not failing, then you're not innovating enough, really. That's yeah. that's an Elon Musk thing, I think. But if you're if you're not failing, you just have to keep trying things, and you don't want to get stale. No. So if you're if you're not going to get stale, you're going to have failures, I guess, or whatever you want to call them. Is there anything that you're like? My heart is saying we need to talk about this that we missed. Um. No, I just really appreciate you inviting me here. This was awesome and so much fun, and I love what you're doing. Thank you. Love that you stepped into this role and doing this is really important work, Sarah. It means a lot that you came, so thanks for your time. Thank you. I feel honored. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, Anna Bolke, our producer, and the incredible team at Gwyn Sound. If you liked this episode, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and write a review. 